Turn with me to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and this morning we want to read verses 8 through 21. Now we have considered, if I can remind you, of the promises of the Incarnation, the person of the Incarnation, the place of the Incarnation, and now this morning we want to consider together the praise of the Incarnation. So we shall read verses 8 through 21 of Luke chapter 2. Luke writes, and he says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. May God bless to us the reading of his inspired and holy word. Now let's pray together. <clears throat> Gracious Father, you who inhabits eternity, we approach you this morning in the name, the name of Jesus, that name exalted far above all other names, knowing, Father, that we have come to know him whom to know is life eternal, knowing also that in a future day the one who came into this world taking upon himself human flesh, found in fashion like a man, the form of a servant, to him every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess when they hear that name, the name Jesus. And this morning we desire, as we approach the Christmas uh, period of time this week, we desire that our hearts, our minds, might be taken up with the child who came, the babe that was born in Bethlehem. We might truly comprehend what it meant for the Son of God to take to himself human flesh, to dwell among us, 
to live, to walk, and then to lay down his life willingly, because no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and I have the power, Jesus said, to take it up again. And how we thank you that that is exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ has done. He has taken life again, and he is seated in the power of an endless life at your right hand. So, Father, we worship you this morning for the good news that you sent your Son into this world, and we desire to humble ourselves in your presence, and we desire that the Holy Spirit would speak to us, each one. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. There is one thing, I think, that in this text of Scripture that stands out so boldly for us. You can't miss it when you look at it. This text that describes for us the incarnation, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the circumstances that surround that. And that one thing is, when you look at it, is that the incarnation, the advent of Jesus coming into the world, receives praise. There is a lot of praise that is going on in this second chapter of Luke as we find here. If you look at verse 13, you can see that the heavenly host praise God. It says, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And then if you go down to verse 20, you will see that the shepherds return to the fields glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen, just as it had actually been described or told to them. So here is a passage that reminds us of praising God. And I think when we come to remind ourselves of the advent, the birth of Jesus, that is the expression that we should have in our hearts that we desire to praise God to exalt God, to give Him that which rightfully belongs to Him. Generally speaking, we reserve praise for something or someone that has value or worth. So if you come across something that, has, that is of particular value and worth, you might praise uh, that thing, whatever it might be. If it merits Praise, if it deserves praise, generally speaking, when we recognize the significance of it, we praise. We may give thanks. We may rejoice, whatever it might be. I want you to notice in these verses that the object of praise is none other than God. That the angels worship God and the shepherds worship God. The angels praise God. The shepherds praise God. It's no different for us this morning. We've come here this morning to worship, and that includes, and that involves praise. We praise God. It's rather interesting in the Bible that the phrase, praise God, only occurs twice. Once in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, Psalm 150, verse 1, says, Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens. And in the New Testament, in Luke 19.37, during the triumphal entry, the disciples began to rejoice and praise God. Now, praising God as a phrase occurs 
a number of times in the Bible, we discover that it is an important aspect of Christian worship, of spiritual worship, that when we gather together, we are praising the Lord. What we mean by that is we are ascribing value and worth to, to God or to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ascribe honor. We acknowledge who He is. We, we adore Him for what He has done. We proclaim Him. We give thanks. All of those things are about praising. Attributing something to God, to Christ, that is rightfully His. It is only God who truly deserves praise and worship. It is only Jesus who truly deserves the honor that we give Him, the adoration that we give Him. We acknowledge and proclaim Him for who He is. And in fact, in this very passage, that's exactly in the message of the angel, what the angel does. He tells the shepherds about the baby born in Bethlehem. And he describes that baby. He is Christ the Lord. He is Savior. And those terms would have significance to those shepherds, those Hebrew Jewish shepherds out in the fields as they kept watch of their flocks. When we talk about praising God, we mean by that that we worship God. And only God deserves to be worshipped. We don't worship men. We don't worship angels. We don't worship stones and images. No, we worship God. Only worship, true worship, is to be given to God. You remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers who were standing at a distance. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. And those ten turned around and went to show themselves to the priest. And on the way, they discovered that their leprosy was gone. And they were healed. Yet the Bible says that only one of them returned, who was a Samaritan, praising God when he came to Jesus. Thanking God. Giving God the praise and the honor for what God, for what Christ had done with him. Praising the Lord, actually, with a loud voice in Luke 17. The early believers in the church in Acts chapter 2, Bible says that they gathered together in the temple every day. They broke bread in their homes every day. They ate their food or received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And I think one of the features of the early church, those Christians so long ago, 2,000 years ago, was they were a thankful, grateful, praising, worshipping people. It wasn't just a matter of coming to church and for one hour or an hour and a half you get to give thanks or praise God. No, their lives, they ate their food praising God. They loved to be in each other's company praising God. So their entire lives, we could say in one sense, was filled with worship and the praising of God. Isn't that really ultimately the essence of what it means to be a Christian? To thank God, to praise God, to worship God. That's why you have come here this morning. When Peter and John went up to the temple to pray, and they came to the gate beautiful, there was that man, lame man, who had been there for years and years and years. And suddenly we discover that that same man, after Peter has spoken to him, is walking 
and leaping and praising God with Peter and John on the way into the temple. When we sing our hymns together like we've done this morning, that is simply an act of worship. That is a praising of God from our hearts, from our minds. I was just thinking as we were singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, how that carol or that hymn is actually loaded with biblical truth. You could take one, fra- one sentence uh, of any line and break it down and you could see rich biblical truth in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Yet you might just sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That's what they did. But it's what they meant by their praising and by their singing and by their worship. So when we talk about praising God, which this passage is all about, you discover that you can actually praise God in two ways. You can praise Him with your mouth, by your lips, or you can praise Him from your heart, in your heart. Those are two ways we generally say that praise consists. It comes forth from our lips and it dwells within our hearts. And isn't it true to say that it ought to be that the praise that comes out of our mouths is because of what we believe in our hearts. That's true worship. That's adoring God. So true both, sorry, true worship involves both of those things, the lips, the mouth, and the heart, or the mind even. It was Jesus who, quoting from the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet, complained, along with Isaiah's complaint, same words, he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And isn't it possible this morning for any of us, some of us, perhaps to be here and it's lip service that you're giving, but your heart is not really in it. You're not really thinking about what you're singing or what you're saying or why you're here. The shepherds are incredible in their... uh, Thinking, they, they, they talk about what they have seen, what they have heard, and then they act upon what they have seen and what they have heard. Coming to church is not just because it's 9.30 in the morning on Sunday. No, we come here regardless of the time, whatever time we desire or choose, we come here with one purpose in mind, that is to worship the living and the true God, to praise Him and to praise and thank our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have come. Time is irrelevant when you're in the presence of God, isn't it? Time doesn't matter. It's only God who matters because He's the focus of all of our praise and worship. So when we talk about these things from the shepherd's point of view or from our perspective, outward confession with your mouth, with your lips, must always be connected to an inward internal conviction why is it that you say why is it that you sing what you sing is it because your heart is changed convinced of the truth you see the the, the shepherds believed the message of the angels and they went and they saw and they praised God for what God had done we praise God because we believe That's why we praise God. I believe the truth as I find it in God's word. I confess the truth 
as God has revealed it to me, and then I say, I believe that. What I read, what I study, what I meditate on, I believe that. So we praise God because we believe the truth that God has given of Himself. In other words, we respond with gratitude, grateful hearts, with thanksgiving on our lips. Someone has said that to conceal praise is the same as despising, or I should say depriving the Lord of half of His glory. So to not praise Him, when you ought to be praising Him, is to just reduce God to your own level and not give Him the glory that rightfully you ought to give and that belongs to Him. Jesus said, being weary, sitting down at Jacob's well, to that Samaritan woman so long ago who came to draw physical water. He said to her, God is seeking worshippers in spirit and in truth. That their worship, when they give it to God, is going to be spiritual worship and it's going to be true. And it's going to be right. That's the kind of worshiper God is seeking. Now, I don't know all of you here this morning. I don't know what you believe. Now, you might say you believe these things, but your heart, like Jesus says, may be far from God. I pray that that's not true for all of us. That what we say with our lips as we praise the Lord is because that's what's in our hearts. That's what we confess and believe. So it was Andrew Bonar, the Scottish minister, who said long ago that we should always wear the garment of praise and not just wave every now and then a palm branch. How true that is, right? Because those who waved palm branches were praising. But some of them, a little while later, said crucify him. So here, when we come to Luke chapter 2, I ask myself the question, why is all of this praising happening why is this praising taking place i mean look the shepherds are out in the fields they're on the hillsides surrounding bethlehem and they're watching their flocks it's night it's dark and they're guarding those sheep and it says look at verse 9 that an angel of the lord appeared to them you notice how uh, specific or clear scriptures an angel not the angel because the angel of the lord in the old testament is actually the baby in the manger but an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were filled with what with fear they were filled with fear now you know whenever angels appear in the bible or whenever God's glory appears in the Bible, the response is always the same. There's always fear. It can be holy, reverent fear, or it can be absolute, abject terror. Frightened for life. You remember at the tomb of Jesus, the Roman soldiers became as dead men when the angels appeared to roll away the stone. The woman at the tomb, when they saw the angels, those young men in bright clothing, were frightened. Zechariah and Mary in Luke chapter 1, when Gabriel, the angel, suddenly appeared to them, were uh, frightened and in fear of what they saw. It was these, uh, the prophet Ezekiel and the apostle John, who when they saw the Lord in His glory, fell down at His feet as though dead. You see, those are responses 
to a revelation of God. And when we hear the word of God, when we listen to the word, when we read the word, God is making himself known to us in his word. And one of the, the, the most important responses, apart from obedience, to whatever you read in the word, is to thank him, to worship him, to praise him. When the disciples were on the Mount of Transfiguration, James and Peter and John, and they saw the glory of Jesus and heard the voice of God the Father, they were, the Bible says, terrified. Terrified. Have not we as Christians in the 21st century become a little too casual about spiritual realities, about Christ? And we have become, we have become almost worldly-like in our portrayal of Jesus. I mean, I don't know what's going on out there this morning in pulpits, but I have the feeling that in many pulpits it's designed to promote a sentimental reaction to Jesus. To have you fall in love with Christ. Have you ever heard of such a thing? No, our way of approaching Jesus and our way of approaching God must be as the Bible says to us. That when God reveals himself to us, sometimes he may reveal himself to you because you're in sin against him and he brings fear to your conscience trembling to your mind other times he lifts your heart almost out of yourself because you praise him and thank him for who he is if an angel were to come among us this morning he would not we should not trifle with him right it was jacob who crossing the brook or about to cross the brook uh, peniel met an angel, the angel of the Lord. And throughout that night, he wrestled with him back and forth, having ultimately no power over that angel because that angel just touched his hip and he was limp for the rest of his life. It may take today for God to deal with you and with me. It may take the word of God, as it's proclaimed this morning, this message about the praise of the incarnation, to break through into our lives, that we understand what it means to worship the living and the true God and to praise Him. We cannot ignore God's glory. Just because you don't see God's glory here this morning doesn't mean that God's glory doesn't exist. It exists. In the Old Testament, it's there in the Holy of Holies, right? Cloud comes down, fire comes down. It's a fearful place. You can't just walk into the Holy of Holies. You'd be struck dead immediately. High priest went once a year and not without blood. Sacrifice to approach God. And yet we come this morning freely, willingly, knowing and believing about the glory of God and the God of the Bible whom we adore and we praise. And so we have come to worship, I trust, and to know Him, to praise Him, to thank Him. So here are these shepherds. And they are despised by their peers, their contemporaries. They are on the lowest rung of society. They're nothing. They're outcasts. You would walk by them in the streets of Bethlehem or Jerusalem. They were ignored, downtrodden, yet notice the announcement from heaven is made to them. God doesn't discriminate. He comes to all. 
And though they are ignored and forgotten by others, they are not forgotten by God. Are we not downtrodden by sin? Overcome by sin? Overwhelmed by our guilt, our sinfulness? Jesus comes to us. Oh, how gracious of God, right? Not only to the shepherds, but how gracious of God that he has come to us. God has not forgotten us. God is gracious and good to us. And this angel, he reveals this incredible news, doesn't he? To shepherds. And these shepherds, perhaps a number of them, have a number of flocks under their care, because generally speaking, it's one shepherd with his sheep. And they hear the voice of the one shepherd, and they follow their shepherd. So here are a number of shepherds, probably with a number of flocks, and perhaps they've built a, a, a temporary enclosure for the night. And there they are on the hillside, the Bible says, keeping watch over those sheep, over those flocks. And to them, out of heaven, an angel of God appears. And the Bible says, glory fills the place. God's glory shines. And they tremble. I know they tremble because look at verse 10. The angel's message to start with is, fear not. Fear not. So they have the right response to an appearance of an angel. They're afraid. They're terrified. But the first message is, fear not. That was Gabriel's message to Zechariah. It was Gabriel's message to Mary. Fear not. Fear not. In fact, this is in the imperative. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be afraid. They should not be afraid. Why? Because of the message. Look at the message, verse 10. Don't you just love this? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I bring you good news. And what is the good news? Unto you, verse 11, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you, shepherds. You will find, shepherds will find, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So here's the message. Here's this angelic announcement that is delivered to these shepherds. I want you to notice, first of all, that this announcement is broad in its scope because the text says, verse 10, it is for all the people. It's not for some people. It's not for the very best on the social scale. No, God starts right at the bottom with the shepherds, the lowest of the rung. It's for them. It's for all nationalities, all races, all ages. It's for all social positions. It's for all the people. How broad in its scope it is, the angel says. All the people, meaning Jesus shall save his people from their sins, particularly. That's the first thing. It's broad in its scope. Second, will you notice that this announcement is particular or specific in degree. I love this part. Verse 10. It is good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Now you know news can be either good or bad, right? I mean, we have a lot of bad news today. Read the newspaper, look on the television, it's just bad news, right? It's very hard to come across some good news today. Don't you just long for some good news? But yes, it's bad news, by and large. 
So news is either good or bad. News can be joyful. News can be sorrowful. But dear congregation, here is the best news. The best news. Why is it the best news? Because it's good news of great joy. What does the Bible mean by it's good news? That word just simply means the gospel. It's the gospel. That is our good news, isn't it? So the good news is the gospel, or to define it a little further, the good news is the message about salvation. News about salvation. And it would appear in the text that the salvation is to be found only in one person, this babe in the manger. Not only the best news, but this is evangelizing news. This is transforming news. This news is designed to do something, to bring, bring peace to the hearts of men and women, to save them, to deliver them. You remember back in Luke chapter 1 when Gabriel, the angel, delivered his message to Zechariah about John the Baptist. Now Zechariah had been praying, right, for years to have a child, a son. And suddenly Gabriel appears and says, you're going to have a son. And he doesn't believe. It's just, oh, how can I believe that? I'm so old. The angel said, Gabriel says, I bring you good news. Good news. John the Baptist's conception and birth, that was good news for them. How, how unbelieving Zechariah was to, to doubt. And yet God has brought good news to each of us. Do you doubt that good news? You should not. Because it's the news about salvation that comes from God. So this good news, I like this to the shepherds, notice, is said to be of great joy. Not just of joy, but of a superlative degree of joy, of great joy. Why is it of great joy? Because this news is the solution to the greatest problem you have and I have, our sin. This is news about how we can be delivered, how we can be set free, how we can be saved from our greatest problem, which is our sin. <clears throat> now I know from my Bible that God is determined to save sinners. That's what He's going to do. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire redemptive story is about God saving sinners. And the climax of that, Bethlehem and Calvary, Right in the middle, Jesus coming into this world. Jesus, the message, the good news of great joy. The psalmist wrote, David, Psalm 20 and verse 5, May we shout for joy over your salvation. May we shout for joy over your salvation. The meek shall obtain fresh joy. The prophet Isaiah says, 29.19, And the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One. <clears throat> so salvation from sin is good news of great joy. Do you know the good news? I'm sure you've heard the good news. But do you know the good news? The good news of great joy, the salvation that God speaks about. So, particular in degree, it's good news of great joy. Third, this announcement is fulfilled singularly. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
What does that mean? Salvation is in a person, in the one who was born, the one who is said to be a savior, who is said to be Christ, the Lord. Now you notice the use of the Lord. If you're a Jew, a Hebrew, in the first century, that's simply saying that God is in Bethlehem's manger. Because the Lord, there's only one Lord. There's only one God. And so to the Jewish mind, to the shepherd's mind, how is this possible? What the angel is saying is that the Christ, the Lord's anointed of the Old Testament, is none less than the God of the Old Testament. He has come into time, into history. And unto you, unto you shepherds, unto you the people, salvation has come in Christ. You know, it's almost as if when you read the text, as if the angel says, finally, he's here. Finally, he's come. And this is the message I'm telling you tonight, he says. He, the Lord, has come to Bethlehem, to the city of David. I mean, we read that, right? Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. He's come as a Savior. Notice he's come as Messiah, Christ. The Lord's anointed. He's come as Lord. He has arrived. He has come. Now I ask myself the question, wow, that's great news. But how can these shepherds find this baby in Bethlehem that they've been told about? Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. In fact, the angel literally says, this shall be the sign. Not a sign, but the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, I've no doubt that there were many babies in Bethlehem in swaddling cloths. But there was only one lying in a manger. That's the sign. Many are in swaddling cloths because the babies are wrapped, but there's only one in an animal trough. There's only one in a manger. What lowly birth. What humble circumstances. An animal trough. There is Jesus in that trough. So look for a baby wrapped up, yes, but lying in a manger. I've often thought to myself, well, when these shepherds make the way to Bethlehem, are they thinking in their minds, baby lying in a manger, baby lying in a manger. Where, where is that? Well, if you're looking for a manger, you know exactly where to go, generally speaking, where the animals are kept. And so they would have had their search narrowed a little bit. We don't need to go into the houses. We go where the animals are kept. And no doubt they made a search in Bethlehem for exactly that. Now, what can you learn from that? Well, let me tell you this. There are a number of principles here. Number one, God can be found. God can be found. Number two, God is accessible. You can go to him. Number three, that God seeks worshippers. I mean, this is what this is all about, right? This means that God reveals himself. Now, one of the basic fundamental theological truths that we discover when we read our Bibles is that we can know God because God has revealed himself. And we know that God has revealed himself in his word. We read his word and we discover what God is like. We learn about God. We, we, we learn about His names. We learn about His attributes. 
his character, the nature of his character. We learn about the things that he's done because God has revealed it to us. Because God has made it known to us. Isn't this what the angel is doing? He is, he is bringing a revelation to shepherds of good news, of great joy that is for everyone. God making himself known among people. God revealing himself. We know he's revealed himself because here we are with his word and we read his word and in his word we discover God and we discover not only that but how necessary the word is to saving faith. Romans 10.17 Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. So how necessary the word is. How necessary for God to make himself known so that I can know him and you can know him. That the shepherds can know him. This revealed word, if you like, from the angel from heaven. God's ultimate revelation to us is the eternal word, right? John 1.14 And the word became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. That's a great truth of Hebrews, right? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the, the exact radiance of the glory of God, or the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why? Because he is more superior to angels having inherited a name that is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. See? God sent his son. God has revealed himself in Christ. The word, the eternal word has become flesh. You know when you read what Zechariah says about John the Baptist, his son, one of the, the purposes for John the Baptist was to give the knowledge of salvation to the people of God in the forgiveness of their sins. Now I've discovered, you know, the one thing I want to know above all things is are my sins forgiven? I know God exists. I read that in His Word. I know God has revealed Himself in His Word, but has He and will He forgive my sins? Isn't that why God sent His Son to save us from our sins? If God is willing to give His Son to save us, then God must be willing to forgive us, to receive us to Himself. He's just making known the accessibility of himself to people, to shepherds, to all the people. And so that last great Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, he's going to reveal God, and he's going to reveal salvation, God's salvation to his people. How many times did John say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as Jesus walked by? Can you imagine I mean, John's a, John's a great man. People revere him. They love him. They look up to him. And there goes Jesus. And John says, that's him. I'm nothing. I must decrease. He must increase. Because he's from above. He's Christ. 
He's Messiah. He's the Lord. And dear congregation, what a privilege it is this morning to have God's Word, right? The Bible. The Bible. You can read the Word of God. You can meditate in it. A, a final revelation, a complete revelation. We call God's Word special revelation, as opposed to general revelation, which is creation, or even na uh, nature and its reasoning. But special revelation is from God Himself. Don't despise God's Word to you this morning. So the message of the angel is a revelation, isn't it, from God, of what God is doing. And notice in verse 11, <clears throat> he literally says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Savior. Not our Savior, as if he's one among many, just the Savior. Savior is born. Such a declaration, of course, prompts not just the one angel to say that, but a, a response from heaven. Look at verse 13. A multitude of the heavenly hosts suddenly are there praising God for that good news, right? Of great joy. That a Savior who is Christ, who is the Lord, is born. And just look at their praise. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Now why is that? Because it's God who's done it. God's done this. God's accomplished this. It's not the angels. It's God. God's angels, according to the Bible, are His messengers. His servants. And therefore they worship Him. Right? Let all God's angels worship Him. Hebrews tells us. You remember the four living creatures in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. The Bible says that day and night... They never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They never cease to worship God, these angels. They adore Him, they praise Him, they give Him glory, they ascribe to Him what is rightfully His, what belongs to Him. Someone has said that the Word of God reveals the glory of God for the worship of God. You have God's Word in your hands this morning so you can worship Him. You can come to Him. You can read about Him. You can approach Him. You can find out that He bore your sins at the cross. That He is your salvation. And He alone. No one else. In fact, Paul writes to the Corinthians, doesn't he, in 2 Corinthians 4. And this is what he says. He says, The God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone into our hearts to give to us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, I have some inkling now of God's glory because I've looked upon Christ in the Word of God. Because Christ is the fullness, the exact radiance of the glory of God Himself. So in Jesus, in that manger, there is the one who represents all that is God. There is the glory of God. And what does the glory of God do in such a setting? It prompts response. You're going to believe or not? You're going to reject or are you going to receive? That's why verse 14 says, Peace to men. Among, among men be this favor, this peace be given. And it follows the glory of God in the highest. What kind, of, what kind of peace is this? This is not some generic peace, right? 
I mean, men and women are looking for peace all over the place. Peace by what they do, peace in their jobs, peace in their relationships, peace around the world, peace, peace, peace. But this peace is God's peace, which comes to the human heart when that heart responds to Him in faith and believes and confesses it's right. It's the favor of God. It's goodwill. It's God's favor among us. God is pleased with those who acknowledge and believe in Him. So John Owen, the great Puritan, he said that the ultimate end of true theology is the celebration of the praise of God and His glory and His grace in the eternal salvation of sinners. You see, when God saves sinners, heaven rejoices. The angels rejoice, don't they, over one sinner who repents. And God manifests His glory when that happens. Only those who know the peace of God are able to respond and give God true glory because they believe what God says about Him. So we are able to praise Him because we have confessed Him and believe Him. Angels, they worship God because He's their Creator. He's their Sovereign. But we worship God because He's our Savior. He's our Savior. He doesn't just make us but He has saved us by the Son whom He has sent. Well, this revelation, this announcement, this message, it prompts a response, doesn't it, from the shepherds. Not just from the angels, glory to God in the highest, but from the shepherds themselves. Look at verse 15 and 16. So when the angels went away from them, verse 15, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Notice, the language makes it in the past. It's already taken place. Let us go over to Bethlehem, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I want you to notice, first of all, they decide to go to Bethlehem, which is David's city, verse 11, right? And notice verse 15, they decide to go because the Lord has revealed it to them. That's their faith. They believe what the angel says, what God said about His Son. And secondly, they act with haste. Look at verse 16. There's no delay, right? No doubting, no debating, no delaying. They just respond and they go, they act with haste. And look at thirdly, verse 16. They go looking for a baby in a manger and they found him. You see, God rewards obedience. This is not just about faith, but this is about acting and doing and believing and obeying. So faith and obedience is rewarded. Now, dear congregation, if you believe and if you obey, then you are filled with great joy because that's the good news of your salvation. But more than that, notice that the shepherds do something. Verse 17. They told everyone about the good news. About the child. Who's the good news? Himself, the Savior. They tell everyone what had been told them. They share the message. The good news. Great joy. They make a confession, don't they? That's what they're doing to people. They're telling them what they believe. They're telling them of what they're convinced of. They're sharing their faith. The Bible tells us that we should seek the Lord 
while he may be found. Isaiah 55. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. So the shepherds, they seek, they search, and they find Christ. I mean, imagine the joy they must have had, right? Wow! What the angel told us has actually come to pass. There's the baby in the manger. And they worshipped. And they believed. And they confessed. And they told others. They shared their faith. Oh dear congregation, have you found this Lord Jesus Christ? Have you searched for Him? Because when you are under conviction of sin, you seek release. You seek someone who can set you free. Someone who can deliver you. That's what this is all about. Have you searched for Christ? And more particularly, have you found Him who delivers you from all your sins? Who forgives you freely? You see, He has shown Himself. It's not that we can say, well, where is the Savior? Where is Christ? Now we know we have Christ here in His Word. We read of Him. We can discover Him because He's shown Himself to the world in His Word. And oh dear congregation, what a privilege this morning to believe the Word. This Word that tells us that God sent His Son into the world to save us, to set us free, to deliver us. To, that tells us that God has come in the flesh and that God is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. No wonder everyone who heard the Word, verse 18, was amazed. At what the shepherds said, because they didn't expect such a message from such a low class of people who told them the truth of it. And not only that, but Mary herself, verse 19, she treasures up what had been said, ponders them over in her heart. She's got a lot to think about, right? Because things have just been coming true, one after the other, of what Gabriel said. And now all of these things being put together, she thinks about them, treasures them, ponders over them. I mean, isn't that what worship is? Treasuring God, pondering God, His deliverance, His salvation, who He is, knowing that only God can save me. You see, a holy reflection on God's revelation brings to me God's salvation. Have you reflected on Christ this Advent season? Verse 20 says, the shepherds have two responses. They praise God. They glorify God for all that they had heard, for all that they had seen. Now, dear beloved, this morning you can only praise God, you can only worship God, you can only glorify God if you have a new heart. You need a new heart. What heart do you have? Has it been changed? God is the one who shows you what your sins are like and what you are like as a sinner. It's God's business to reveal that to us. And He does, doesn't He? And God tells us that unless we believe and repent of our sins, unless we receive this good news of great joy, that Christ is the Lord and is the Savior who has come into the world to go to the cross because of your sin and my sin, unless we believe and repent, we shall perish. We shall perish in our sins. We shall be removed from God's presence and experience His wrath except you believe and repent of your sins. That's the gospel. That's this good news. You see, I want the peace of God. 
that passes, surpasses all understanding. I don't want to perish. I believe this word. I'm confident that Jesus did this for me because the Bible tells me that. And I know from change of life, change of heart. How do you know that you're a Christian, right? How do you know your sins are forgiven? Let me ask you this. Do you love God's people? Do you love them? Because unless you love your brother and your sister, you cannot love God. So do you love them? Can't wait to meet with them. Can't wait to be with them. That's why we should all be, if we are believers, gathered in church, belonging to churches, and in fellowship with the saints, because that's what Christians do. They love the brethren. It's an easy test. It's a simple test. Is that your life? Does your life manifest you love God's people? You want to be among them. You want to share their life and your life with them. And isn't another test you confess with your mouth that you believe that Jesus is the Christ who came in the flesh? And all that the Bible says about Him, you believe and you confess so that you know in your heart that Jesus did this for you. Is that yours? You see, that's what gives you peace. Now when we're younger, we're not too troubled about peace. That's something later on in life. When you get older, you begin to wonder about all of these things. But you want to have peace in your old age, don't you? You have it through the Son of God only. Oh, the world is going to chaos. The world is falling around about us. But the world is in God's hands. And every believer is in the hands of that same God who is sovereign over all. And so if you, like the shepherds, have believed what you have heard what you have seen with the eyes of faith, if you have received the Savior, then rejoice that you have peace with God because that's the promise of God. And that peace, by the way, the forgiveness of your sins, it deals with your anger, it deals with your bitterness, it deals with your lust, it deals with your sins. Has He done that? Because that's what He does in saving us. And He gives us everything that we need The Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to help us overcome our sins and ourselves. His Word to read, to challenge us, to encourage us, to feed our souls upon every day of our lives. God has provided such a great, great, rich salvation for us. Especially the forgiveness of my sins. Washed away by the blood of the one who came and lay in a manger and then went to a cross, having kept the law of God perfectly for me so that I might be justified and free. So rejoice, if that's true of you. Worship, praise, thank God for such things, right? So from the angels in the heavens, in the heights, to the shepherds in the fields, let us believe this word that has been revealed to us even this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus, your beloved Son, who came into this world, who took to himself humanity, because he had to be a man to obey your law, and he had to be a man to lay down his life, and he had to be a man to bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Oh, how necessary the incarnation was. No wonder we should praise you and thank you that you have come uh, into this world in the person of your Son, revealed God to us 
God is with us. Oh, we pray that we might all this morning believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who came to set his people free, that we might believe the good news of great joy, that we might have this peace of God in our hearts and that we might give glory and adoration and praise to our God. Thank you for your word, Father. Now we pray that you would bless us this Christmas Advent, this Christmas season, that we might remind ourselves again of the glorious salvation that is to be found in the babe in the manger, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, Christ the Lord. We worship you. We worship you, Lord Jesus Christ, and we worship you, Holy Spirit of God, who reveals these things to us in the Word. We commit ourselves to you now. Change us. Transform our lives, we pray. Give us hope. Give us joy and give us peace, we pray, in this world which has such an absence of these things because we know that you are our God and we are your people. We praise you for your word and we thank you. Let it do its work by your Holy Spirit, we pray in us. Thank you that you send forth your word to accomplish your purpose. It will never return to you void. We desire then that we would humble ourselves and submit ourselves to you. We pray and ask these things now then with thanksgiving in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.